Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Are you well? I feel like you're very in Cape Town wet and cold this morning. Shake it off. Shake it off. Um, I've been traveling with Mr. Phillips for about 12 days. You get to know someone intimately when you travel with them. Stay in the same room, travel in the same car, do life with someone. And um, he is an interesting man, um, a, a beautiful, beautiful, interesting man. We, we've had some funny moments. First of all, we arrived. He was a bit jet-lagged. We were both a bit tired. We couldn't sleep. And one in the morning, two in the morning, he went to go get water in this very dodgy little motel we stayed in because it was close to the airport. It looked better on the website. And um, until my phone started ringing and I didn't answer it, and then I picked up my phone because it kept ringing and I realized it was Gabriel. And I answered it was FaceTime. He says, I'm lost. Where are you? (laughs) He'd forgotten the hotel room number. To which I hung up because I thought the best thing would be to let him find me. Just fun game. And I could hear him knocking on the doors down the passage at one in the morning trying to find us. Sorry, I know some of you are like, don't do that to my Gabe. Um, and he, uh, it was a lot of fun. We, uh, our, there was a specific moment. We um, had spent a whole day with Wendy and Terry Virgo, which was spectacular. And we wanted to just process it. We drove 20 minutes from their house is Brighton. It's the south of England, and they have a beach, Brighton Beach, and a pier. So we walked down the pier, and I said, Gabe, We've had such an amazing day. Why don't you phone Fiona and just, just tell her what God's been doing? And I, I turned around for a second only to hear his knees hit the deck. And as I turned around, I saw his cell phone slide across the pier and fall between the smallest of gaps. Small little gap. It fell. And, and the only lasting image I have in my head is Gabe on all fours, on his knees, looking between this gap, seeing if he could still see his phone between the waves. Sorry, it's much funny in my head. And um, everyone around, no one, you know, the English are very polite. They don't quite know what to do. So everyone just stood and they were like, we can't believe that just happened. But it would only happen to Mr. Phillips. He donated his cell phone to the ocean and um, very special moments. And then just to give you some family news as well, the Fundavestations have obviously immigrated and are in the UK. And when we found out the timing of their move and the timing of our trip, which was planned months ago, we made a plan to, to surprise them. And uh, Maria knew about it, but Rion and the boys didn't. So we drove in hooting in this quiet little town with their new house. Maria, uh, Rion thought Maria had bought him a car. So he came in excited. He was like, I've got a new car. It was just our rental and us. So he was a little disappointed. But they are very well and um, doing well as boys and amazing to see them thrive. And, and we took a moment. Relationships are important. Rational, we were very tired on our last night in England. And I just said to Gabe, there's a, there's a man who's not so young anymore. His name is Matt, Maxwell McClally. Um, and uh, him and I were in youth together from 14 years old. Then he served in Glenridge and he was on the staff that I led. We've done a doozy together, we've done life together, and he got married to an English lass and moved to England, and I've never seen his child. And so Gabe was shattered, tired, sleeping on the seat next to me. I said, would you mind if, if we, we went to just see Maxwell? And I got to go to his house and see what God has done in his life. And I'm telling you, the gospel works. I could feel the presence of God as we sat in his little lounge in the middle of England. I couldn't even tell you what town we were in. But I could feel the presence of God. When you've done life with people for a long time, and celebrated some major highs and navigated some lows. God is with us. So make sure you have opportunities, give opportunities to see God 
do that in your life. And so we went to America and the, the objective was to grow. We went to a conference literally called Grow, Grow Leader, and, and it was incredible. We, we went on last Sunday, we had the privilege of setting up meetings and going to four different churches. We were like church addicts on Sunday. Four different churches running around, meeting leaders in between, and it was incredibly encouraging and insightful and learning. But I've been taught by a man named Rory Dyer that when Jesus says, take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, Judea might be your, your, uh, Jerusalem might be your nearest, Judea might be your, your province, but Samaria is not a place. Samaria is a woman at a well. Jesus met a woman at a well at a place called Samaria. And so every time I travel, I ask God, could there be the one? Every time we plant churches, we say, hey, God, we'll do it just for the one. For me, Milnerton was about a lady named Corin, who's Fiona's mother, who got saved, who got baptized, and got into community at a community called Milnerton. It's a lady, Diane, who drives past us every Sunday to go to her church and her family called Life Changes Milnerton. But every time I travel, I say, God, is it the one? Is it the person sitting next to us on a plane? Is it that? And I would encourage you to do the same because Jesus always ministers to the one. And on, uh, we, were, uh, we arrived and went straight into this conference. And um, the next day, woke up and, and we went straight to the conference. And Americans know how to do conferences. It's like 9 in the morning till 10 at night. You're going to be here. We're going to talk. It's going to be big. And you get 10-minute gaps. So by conference number four, Gabriel's looking like this. And um, we shot out to go get some food to come back and popped into a heavenly anointed chicken place called Chick-fil-A. If you've ever been to America, it's great. But I was intended, I went there for one purpose, to get my chicken. That was it. And um, as I walked in, I noticed quite a biggish lad, man on the other side looking at me intently. And I thought, well, either he doesn't like redheads and I'm with a redhead, or um, there's something about me he doesn't like, but I'm just going to get my chicken and leave. So I ordered my chicken. My chicken came. And as I was leaving, I heard, Mark. And I turned around, and it was this large-sized man saying my name in the middle of Birmingham, Alabama. I know you're going to be shocked, but I'm not big in Birmingham, Alabama. Actually, no one knows me. And Fatpletson is not a common surname. And I turned around, and I looked at him. I looked in his eyes. He said, is it Mark? And I said, yes, it's Mark. And I realized I knew this man. I'm not going to say his name. But we were in church together about 14, 15 years ago. He was on fire for Jesus, encountered Jesus in a spectacular way. And then I remember he, he left and he went to America to go to evangelism. And so he went to America and did evangelism. And, 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 but I met him in the Chick-fil-A and I said, but I've got to get back to the conference. It's so lucky to see you. So I go back to the conference and I'm, so, I'm grieved because I didn't, I felt like I'd missed something. And they get John Maxwell to speak, not on leadership, not on anything other than personal evangelism. And John Maxwell, the leadership guy of our age, starts weeping as he speaks about sharing the gospel and countering people in moments. I'm going, I feel like such a bad Christian right now. Come all the way to America for a guy to tell me how bad I'm doing at this. But anyway, I, I tried to get on Facebook. I got a hold of the guy's details. I found him. We weren't friends on Facebook. I found him. I said, hey, do you have any gaps? We've got a conference at 9, then we fly out straight away. He said, well, I'm doing my kid's school run at 6.30 tomorrow morning. How about you come on the run? And so he picked me up, and we went on a school run with his daughter. And then we had half an hour gap in his car. And I started to just ask questions. And you find out that he had a burning passion for Jesus, became an evangelist, started traveling, got married, had a little girl, and his marriage had fallen apart. 
And then he went through a really low patch of feeling broken and feeling disillusioned and he had disappointed God. So he'd pulled back and in that space met another lady had got married and things were tough. And so we started speaking about God and who Jesus was. And I just got these words again and again. He just needs a touch. He just needs a touch. Because he knows God. He was quoting scripture, but he, he, he hadn't felt the touch of God. He was quoting, he quoted a whole half a chapter of Ephesians to me. He knows the word of God, but he couldn't live it. He knew that God had forgiven him, but he felt horribly unclean in the process. And I got to encourage him and speak to this man, even if he was just the one for the whole trip, about who God was and who he was in God. And I thank God for that moment. But I've realized that there are very many people like that who just need a touch. And I started studying what happens when Jesus touches people. And I want to speak this morning about being touched by Jesus because I want to tell you that Christianity is never meant to be and was never meant to be this religion that you've got it all in place and you can quote all the scriptures. Christianity was always designed about a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, having the ability to be touched by God. And His touch would heal us and make us whole and call us into the more. When Lee sings and he sings from the depths of his soul, I know he sings from that place because he's been touched by God in intimate ways. And God is calling us as Christians back to a place of intimacy, back to a place of worship, back to a place where we can be touched by the living God in the hands of Jesus. I want to ask you a question today. Are you happy keeping Jesus at a distance or will you let him touch your life? Amazing being in cities like New York and London, Cities with the highest level of, of 65% of London people live in rented homes. The implication is they have the highest level of loneliness because people are constantly moving, never forming relationships that go beyond 200 intimate hours, which are researchers saying that's what it takes to form deep, meaningful relationships. 200 intimate hours, not just being in work together, not just no intimate hours. And so people never get the opportunity to do that. I want to speak this morning, and first of all, I just want to look at five different stories where Jesus touched people. In all of them, he healed physically, but I believe he did much more. First of all, the cleansing touch of Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And Jesus gave, the story carries on, Jesus gave him one warning, don't tell anyone, he tells everyone. How do you not tell someone when Jesus touches your life? How do you not tell them how good he is? How do you not tell them how faithful he is? But in that world, diseases like leprosy were incurable, and they were seen not just as something was wrong in your body, they were seen as a curse, an evil curse upon your life, that there was an evil mandate. And so what would happen is, to protect the community, they would be sent out. Because they were unclean. And everywhere they went, if someone came near them, they would have to ring their bell and say, unclean, unclean. The greatest thing that Jesus did for this man wasn't necessarily just saving him from a death of leprosy. He saved him from a life of uncleanness, a life of excommunication, a life of never being accepted, a life of never being able to get close, not just to him, but to anyone. And Jesus breaks every rule and every mandate and he touches this man before anything. He touches him. See, I realized as I sat with my friend, who I haven't seen in 13 years, and I heard his story, 
I realize he doesn't need 12 pastor's principles to navigate his way back. He doesn't need to read the whole Ephesians. He could probably recite it. What he needed was a touch of Jesus. And as we sat in a big pickup truck in the middle of Alabama, and I laid my hands on this man. I'm not Jesus, but as I laid my hands on Jesus, there's a mandate from Jesus to us to lay hands on those people. The sick, the broken, the lost. Lay hands on them and allow them to encounter something of the King of Kings. And you watch the layers begin to peel back. The, the sense of uncleanness begin to come off. That Jesus' touch is a cleansing touch. Maybe some of you sit here Sunday after Sunday and listen to me preach. And there's a knowledge and an understanding enough to know that you are forgiven. But the minute you walk out, the accuser voice begins to speak, but you're still dirty. You still did that. You still walked that road. You still made that decision. And there are implications. I want to tell you about the touch of Jesus that cleanses us. The forgiveness has happened, but it's only his touch that cleanses my life and yours. Will you let him touch you? What about the settling touch and ever get there where you feel anxious, unsettled, troubled? In Matthew 8, a situation arrived in Peter's house. said when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. She's not well. She wants to serve the people in her house, but she can't. She's got a fever. Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. I can just imagine the frustration of this lady. The first thing she does when she gets healed is to get up and serve. So she's lying in bed. She wants to serve, but she can't. It's like many people in the church who want to do great things for God, but there's a troubleness to it. We're held back by certain things. And it just takes a touch of Jesus to release that. He didn't pray long prayers. He, he didn't declare and break and send Satan out of the city. He just touched her hand. See, stress and anxiety and these things are massive in our world. They did a massive uh, uh, research in, in the U.S. And 59% of baby boomers, 55 to 75, if you didn't know you're a baby boomer. If you're in that age, say, I'm a baby boomer. No, don't say that. Have, been di have never been diagnosed with mental health issues. 59%. 52% of gen, Generation Zers, or those born between 1981 and 1996, have already been diagnosed with mental health issues. 52%. A confession, I love watching people. I'm a people's person, I'm fascinated by people, and Gabe and I were eventually talked out. I know most of you think that's not possible, but it is. And so we would buy coffee and we would sit at a coffee shop and just watch people walk up the streets of London or the streets of New York. And then we start to say, I wonder what's happening with that person. And I felt the compassion of God come upon us people as you realize people are going to and from work, spending hours upon hours, actually not because there's a settledness upon the call in the life, but actually because there's chaos. And Jesus just wants to touch. He wants to touch your life so that through your life, he can touch others. And maybe it's going to be on a trip you go on, or maybe it's going to be the person who sits next to you every day in the office. He wants to touch their lives. He wants to settle them and bring peace to their chaos and bring freedom from anxiety. He wants to do that. But you know how he's going to do that? He's going to do it by doing it in your life and my life first. I just kept looking at stories and asking the question, will you let him touch you? As I sat with this man in a car, I said, but you know everything about God, but you won't let him near. In Matthew 9, 
It says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on our son David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And it carries on in verse 33. It says, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Maybe nothing like this has been seen in Cape Town or your work or your house. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of someone touching my eyes. Bit of a germaphobe. You'll see later, it gets worse. But Jesus goes into an intimate place and says, your point of brokenness are your eyes. So I need to be able to touch your point of brokenness. Why is it that when we come to Christ and often when we come to church and community, it's the point of brokenness we hide away and everything else we put forward. Let's be honest, every single one of us in this place has masks on right now. Every single one of us. And the gospel keeps calling us and imploring us to pull back the mask so that Jesus can touch our most broken areas. That's why testimony is so powerful. Because it's the willingness to pull back a mask, expose our brokenness, and let God get all the glory. It's what he wants. And he speaks to these guys, and God touches the eyes of the blind man and gives them sight. But I want to tell you, more than just sight, God wants to give vision for life. Maybe you and say, well, I'm just doing time. I'm working paycheck to paycheck. It's not getting me very far. We were never meant to live like that. The Bible speaks to us and says, clearly, actually, without vision, my people perish. He wants you to have vision for your life. I've known about this man and the desires in his heart for a long time. And it's weighed upon me because I felt something of a, of a responsibility to say, God, is it in our house? Is it in another story? What is it? And I've prayed about this for years. And as he makes a step of faith, I know on the other side of this faith, there's a vision for what God can do. And it's in God's hands. It's always in God's hands. What's the vision in your life that's no longer in your hands? It's in the hands of the one who heals blind eyes. Because that's where the supernatural will be. That's where the things of this earth will go strangely dim and the light of his glory begins to happen. I just want to encourage us this morning that all of this happens when we allow Jesus to touch us. And it's going to look like some things. It's going to look like taking time out of busy lives. It's amazing. You walk on the underground and it's 35 degrees and everyone's pouring into a, 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 a tram underground line. It's a phenomenal system. But the minute it's late, everyone's flustered. People are on their phones, they, and they've all got these earbuds, so there's no wires. You don't know, and they're talking like they're moaning, and you think, are oh, they talking to me? Then you realize they're not. The train is two minutes late, and they're going off. I'm like, come to Africa, buddy. <laughs> come hang out with us. You'll calm down. Whoa. Just breathe. And they are going off on their little earpods. And you realize, but we're all like that, actually. Will we allow Jesus? What about the comforting touch of Jesus? In Matthew 17, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared before him. So Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, and suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down. They fell face down in terror. 
Never seen this before. I've never understood. It says, then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. We sing of courage. Courage is not something that as Christians we work up by what we know about God. Courage comes when we are touched by Jesus. Courage comes when we say, God, outside of your touch and outside of your anointing upon my life, I can do nothing. Nothing will change. I can preach a thousand sermons, but if I haven't been touched by Jesus, nothing will change. And you can try and do a thousand business deals in your own hand, but you'll never see the supernatural multiplication of heaven unless you've been touched by Jesus in that context. And he's asking the question, as, he, as I asked him, my friend, I left that meeting going, hey God, have I pulled back from being touched by you? And at times, I've got to get back to myself and realize, yes, I have. Am I still desperate for his touch? Am I still desperate for his presence? Am I still desperate like I was a 16-year-old teenager going to all-night prayer meetings with my friends? Would I still do that? I've got my little 10-year-old boy sitting in the second row this morning because he wants to be cool. And I preach he's not there. He was in the earlier service. Sorry. Everyone's looking for him. Where is he? <laughs> and I realize the game changes now. Because someone who's watched my every moment now gets to see what I preach. And he's going to do the sums because he does the sums in every part of his life. Why would he not do it with me? Saying, God, to impact his little heart, I need to be touched by you. I have to be touched by you. And you do too. Will you let him touch your life? What about the liberating touch? In Mark chapter 7, there were some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place, his hand, to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's eyes. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epaphtha, I think, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak. Again, if I was the man being prayed for, I would have been highly uncomfortable with the situation. I, I had my um, antibacterial hand wash, and after getting off the metro, there was a tradition. Take it out, wash hands after holding on to the same pole 100 million Yorkers had held on to. I'm a bit of a germaphobe, bless you. But Jesus stuck his fingers into this man's ears. And then he spat and put his finger on the man's tongue. How desperate do you want the healing of Jesus? Because it's going to look like intimacy. It's going to look like Jesus invading your personal space, making you feel uncomfortable. It's going to look like that. And you're going to have to settle that. It's going to look like him going to your areas of greatest brokenness and saying, I want into that. I never died on a cross to come to your good side. I died on a cross to come to your broken parts. And in your brokenness parts, I'm going to stick my fingers. And in your broken parts, I'm going to place with intimate touch upon your life. Why? So that you can hear me clearly again. So that you can speak my life again. Again, I ask you, will you allow Jesus to touch you? Of course, it's his healing touch. Of course, he's the creator and he wants to touch and heal. And in every one of these instances, he's healing physically, but he's always doing so much more. And I believe our response as believers is not just to 
be the ones who are quick to minister to others. It's to hear for ourselves, are you still willing to be touched? And how desperate are you? Are you willing to have your uncomfortable parts broken into by the King of glory so that you can step in more? Because if you aren't, it'll stay religion. If you aren't, it'll stay a duty. If you aren't, it'll stay tick box Christianity. But there's so much more if you would just allow Him close. I realized through years of pastoring that often it's couples who've had relationships and sexual relationships before their marriage who then get into marriage and touch of a man or touch of a woman in their life has brought pain and chaos. And all of a sudden God puts something good in place and touch begins to happen and there's chaos because touch was a negative emotion triggered by a negative touch, by touch. And we have to allow God to get into some of those areas and allow intimacy to come where touch is a positive thing. It allows actually God to come in and recreate thought patterns, recreate brokenness to life, allow Him into the deepest parts of our brokenness so that He can bring restoration and healing. Why? Because there is a world waiting out there and I'm sitting on the streets of New York and I just stopped and I watched hundreds of thousands of people walking past us every day. I think, Jesus, they don't know they need you. They have millions in the bank, maybe. And they have a world that seems like it works, but fundamentally it has no impact on eternity. They need a touch from you, Jesus. Will you touch my broken parts so that your glory can come? Because I don't know if I can make any impact. But if you would just touch, if you would just keep touching. And I sat with my friend in a bucky and I started to tell him something that God revealed to me a little while ago. And maybe it's great theology, maybe it's bad, but there was a man named Uzzah and 2 Samuel who was a priest of God and they were carrying the ark, presence of God. I don't know if you remember it. And there was an instruction, don't touch the ark, don't touch the presence of God. And they trip and it begins to fall. And this priest of God, this good man reaches out and touches the ark to stop it from touching the dirt of the earth. And he gets struck down dead in a moment. And I questioned that. I remember reading it about two years ago. And God, why would you strike down your priest? Why? He did everything you said. He followed the rules. He followed the laws. And as clearly as I know how, God spoke to me and said, never again will a system, never again will a, a process, and never again will a person stop my glory from touching the dirt of the earth. Never again. I came to earth and I died on a cross so that the dirt of the earth can keep being touched by the glory of God. And where there is a man in a pickup truck in Birmingham, Alabama, or where does your work colleague who sits next to you every day, maybe it's your spouse who you've struggled to say a kind word to for a long time because of something they did five years ago. God said, never again. I'm going to put a precedent in place that never again will anything stop my glory from touching the dirt of this earth. And I watched God begin to bring and touch his son. And I left, but God keeps touching his son. Because it's never about us. It's about the father who wants to touch his children. The biggest thing I miss when I travel is my kids. I want to hold them. I'm a snuggler. Last night, my wife couldn't kick me away more. She's a, she's a foot toucher. I'm a, I'm a snuggler. And then I go through to the room and the mother and I, I want to hold them. I get into their bed sometimes. I know some of you think it's weird. It's okay. And, um, and I hold my kids. And Ben climbs all over me and Judah pushes me away and Daniel's somewhere in between. But when I travel, I miss that. How much more the Father in heaven? If the greatest picture of God is Father, how much more does He want to touch your life?
Oh, Mark, you don't know what I've done. No, he put a precedent in place saying never again. How much more does he want to touch your life today? Can we stand together? Just this morning we aren't in a series. We're somewhat devotional. But I believe God wants to touch his children this morning. The first way to respond is to say this in your heart and say to him, I'm your child. Because we sometimes think we're bigger than we are. We sometimes think we can fix ourselves, we can heal ourselves. Oh, that area of brokenness, that area, if I just do these seven steps, I'll fix. No, you can't. Here's the lie. Everyone says at funerals, and it's a lie. Time heals. Time won't heal a broken heart. It just can't. Because time's not a healer, and it never was. But there is a healer. But he doesn't heal from a distance. He doesn't heal through the airwaves. He heals when his sons and daughters are willing to be touched by him. Just touched. Are you willing to be touched by the king? Not just in your good side. You're the selfie world, eh? People posing and just standing watching us going, wow. That's the world we live in and that's how we treat God. Look at my good side. He says, I have, I've seen your good side. I made it. I want to touch your broken sides. Can we close our eyes just for a second? This is a journey. This is not even just a moment, one moment now. This is a lifelong pursuit I'm calling you to and I'm calling my life, myself to. Will you join in a lifelong pursuit to say, I want to be touched by Jesus, not once off. I want to be held. Maybe you've never known affection. Will you allow the lover of your soul to touch your broken sides so that he can use you as an agent of his healing and wholeness in this world? Maybe on the other side of the planet or maybe for your neighbor. If that's you, will you lift your hands with me as I lift my hands, as I've kicked out of this pursuit at times? Lord, all we're saying by lifting our hands is, we need your touch. Jesus, we need your touch. Father, we need your touch. Where can we go, God, from your presence? What hope is there for this world outside of your touch? I pray this morning, touch those who need physical healing, but also, God, that which we get so good at hiding behind masks, would you touch and would you heal and would you bring wholeness and freedom? Would you liberate from anxiety and pain this morning, King, so that you would get all the glory, King Jesus? For those living under the disappointment of decisions in their past, I pray, God, the liberator, the breaker of chains, Break those chains and with one touch, heal, restore, and make whole this morning. We surrender to your healing this morning. We surrender to your touch. And I pray 
as your word describes us as children of God, there would be an appetite in us to be touched by the King of Kings. Bring healing, bring life, and bring joy, I pray. We worship you, King.